All right. Let's begin again by praying. Our Lord God, we thank you once again for this time that we get to come and read your word and hear your word proclaimed. We pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning. For we all come in for different reasons and we're in different places in our life, Lord God. But the great thing is that you know each and every one of us. You know our hearts, you know what's going on in our lives, and you even know what is about to come. So we trust, Lord God, in your ways, and I pray that you would speak to every heart this morning, Lord God, that you would touch them, and Lord God, you would comfort them, that you would encourage them, and for those who need to be convicted and brought home, I pray that you would do that as well. For we love you, Lord God, and know that you can do all things, and we pray this in your name, amen. Well, open your Bibles up to John chapter 20. Uh, we're getting closer to the end here. And actually, th- in this morning's message, we come to the probably like the pinnacle of John's purpose of the gospel that he's been writing. We come to the main event. We come to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and John, as always, is using these events that he's recorded and written down to he's recorded written down these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that you may know you have eternal life. And this morning, we're going to look at three different people and their reaction to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you think about it, each and every one of us has to deal with the resurrection. First, you have to come to the to the realization or denial that it happened or did not happen. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And how important that is. And if it did happen, which I believe it did, obviously, or I wouldn't be here. What does that mean to you? How significant should that be in your faith? And so, again, this morning, we're going to look at three reactions to that. And next week, we'll look at another one as well with a a man that's uh, been labeled Doubting Thomas. We'll read his story uh, next week. But this week, we're going to look at Peter, John and Mary Magdalene and their response to the resurrection. And I venture that all of us can find ourselves in one of these people. So let's read the account of in John's gospel. Let's starting in verse one. We're going to go through to verse 18. It says now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on this on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple whom had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he might that excuse me that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. 
And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So there we have the uh, first accounts of the people that in John's gospel had seen the risen, or had seen the empty tomb, and one person actually sees the risen Lord. So let's go back and look at some of the specifics of the text. And again, look at the three accounts, because if you notice, you have Peter, John and Mary all arriving at the tomb and responding differently. So we're going to go through that now and make some application at the end about their interaction. And along the way, I'll I'll make some mentions about, you know, those who say that it didn't happen because there's some subtle hints in the Gospels, not just in this one, that really ask those who oppose it to think about. And I think there's some defenses in there. and I'll try to point those out along the way. Okay, so let's start at the beginning here. It's the first day of the week, so it's Sunday morning. It's early in the morning. The, the Mary and some other women, which I'll point to in a moment, have set out to go to the tomb. And although John only records Mary, if you look at verse 2 with me for a second, because the other Gospels add some other women that were there, but here in uh, John's Gospel, Mary alludes to more than just herself. Here when she answers, she says, they have taken away the Lord. This is verse two out of the tomb. And look at what it says. And we do not know where they have laid him. Now, obviously, Mary came with some other women. This is one area where skeptics or critics would say, see, the accounts of the Gospels, they don't match up. John says Mary. Another Gospel says Mary and some other women and and uh, Salome and Joanna. Well, here it only has Mary. But if you continue reading and look at the details, She says, we. And if you know anything about the Gospels, these are ancient biographies. Sometimes we look at through a modern lens and say, hey, they're supposed to be written like the the biographies of today are written. Well, they're not. They're different. They had different rules back then. They weren't using the writing techniques of the 21st century. So the critics are always quick to point out that they don't write like they do. Well, it's a different time. They wrote differently. They wrote for different purposes. And as we've been saying over and over again, as we study through the Gospel of John, John is writing for a specific purpose. He's using each of the events that he writes down, and he's particular about which events he records, what people he alludes to, for the purpose that you would believe and that you would know that you have faith. So again, he's so he's using these episodes. It doesn't mean those other women weren't there just for the purpose of John's writing. He's just pointing out Mary. But again, in verse two, you could see it leads to we. There's more than one woman there. 
So it's still dark. Mary and the women set out to the tomb. And what do they discover when they get there? Going back to verse 1. So Mary Magdalene comes early to, to, to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. If you remember, the tomb was rolled, or the stone was rolled in front of the tomb into like, uh, like it was lowered down to this crevice so that it would just sit there. So she, first of all, she's amazed that the seal is gone. Like who would move that? In another gospel, as she was approaching the tomb, she had said to the other woman, who's going to roll the stone away? So she knew that there was a stone there because in another gospel account, it says that Mary and the other Mary actually watched Joseph of Arimathea put the body into the tomb. They were, it says, opposite of the grave watching. So they knew where it was. She knew where she was going. And so as she gets there, she finds that the stone is rolled away from the tomb. Now, another gospel tells us that there were also Roman guards in front of the tomb, right? Because the Jews were afraid that the disciples were going to come and steal the body of way. But so they went to Pilate and said, hey, could you put a guard out there? So he put a guard out there. He sealed it as well with his uh, stamp and said, you know, nobody better come and remove the tomb because there were accounts in, in ancient times of people robbing graves. And so the Jews were saying, hey, the disciples might come and rob him and take, or take the body away. And so they wanted to avoid those things. So, again. Mary, the women come to the tomb. They find that the stone is rolled away. And so what does she do? Verse 2. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid them. Now, obviously, Mary didn't think Jesus was going to rise from the dead because even as she goes there, what does she think happened? The body's been stolen. Somebody took the body away. Now, it wasn't until Saturday, so Jesus was laid in there on Friday. On Saturday, that's when the Jews went to Pilate and got a guard set before them. So Mary doesn't even know that there would have been a guard there. She was probably celebrating the Passover back at home. And so when she comes, she just thinks, hey, somebody came and stole the body away again because that were some things that had happened. And again, think of this. It's, it's only logical, right, to think that somebody, if the body's not there, somebody took it. Nobody's thinking Jesus is going to rise again. That's not even on, on the radar for the disciples. The disciples didn't even understand what Jesus was talking to them about, even when he said, I'm going to rise again or I must die. They didn't know. So if you think about it, why would they even steal the body and try to fake a resurrection when they didn't even think a resurrection was going to happen? The Jews remembered But the disciples would not have done that. And so Mary comes. She thinks, hey, the body's been stolen. And again, it's only logical to think that. And I bet even today, maybe some in this room would think that as well. Because we're not thinking a resurrection. Come on, that's kind of crazy that a body can raise from the dead, that somebody could raise from the dead. So some of the critics today and maybe even someone in here would say, yeah, the body was probably just stolen. Well, let's think about that for a minute. What would have to happen to steal the body? First of all, there's a Roman guard set before the tomb. So you would have to defeat the Roman guard, right, or somehow make them leave, pay them off maybe, so that you could steal the body. 
But if you were to do that, the Roman guard would have been disciplined by Pilate for not standing their post. So that's problem number one. Secondly, you would have to have rolled a large stone away uphill. And that would have been tough. The thing that I thought was funny is when some people say, well, the disciples must have stole the body. So think of this. You have a Roman guard blocking the tomb. And here comes Peter and John and a bunch of Marys, the women. And they're going to they're going to defeat the Roman guard, trained soldiers, trained mercenaries, kill them. Right. Somehow move the stone and take away the body. That's for what purpose? Because they didn't think of a resurrection. So why were they still in the body? Just something to think about. But I, I thought that was funny to imagine the disciples who are fishermen, a tax collector, uh, a lot of women. I mean, maybe the only one that could probably fight was Simon the Zealot. He might be the only one. But, I mean, come on, Peter and John, let's take this guy out. I, I don't think so. So, anyways, I just, just something to think about. So they get, so she gets there, the Tells Peter and John the body's been stolen. Uh, and just let me digress for another second here on defending the empty tomb. The fact that the Jews understood there was an empty tomb shows that something happened to the body. They know the tomb's empty. If Jesus' body is dead, they should just go produce it. Just show them. Look, here, disciples, you guys claim a resurrection. Here's the dead body of Jesus. But it's nowhere to be found. Nobody can find it throughout the uh, gospel accounts and even in the book of Acts. If Jesus was truly dead and did not rise from the dead, just go get the body and produce it and show everybody here he is. You know where the tomb is. We're told that Joseph of Arimathea had bought a tomb and carved it out for himself. So everybody knew where the tomb was. It wasn't like, well, Mary went to the wrong tomb. No, again, she was there and saw where the body was laid. Everyone knew where the body was. So if the body's not there, how do you explain it? If it wasn't stolen, what happened to it? Again, just something to think about. So let's move on. So let's look at the response. So Mary comes, tells Peter and John, the other disciples, the body's stolen. Somebody took it. And what do they do? Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, went forth. And they were going to the tomb. So they take off running. Uh, In verse 4, John tells us that he's faster than Peter. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Okay? Verse 5. And stooping and looking in, this is John, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So he gets there first, but he stopped short of going in. Simon Peter finally catches up in verse 6. And what happens? And so Peter also came following him. He entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. So even though Peter wasn't as quick as John for whatever reason, some say, well, he was probably older than John. So John was a little younger and quicker. He gets there. I can see him pushing John out of the way and going down into the tomb because that's the kind of thing Peter does. We'll find out in chapter 21 is another funny story where they're in the boat and Jesus is on the side and he calls out to them. And John goes, Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter just jumps in and starts swimming towards the shore. And then it says the other people came in the boat. You know, they're, they're in the boat because they weren't too far away. 
So if Peter would have just stayed in the boat, he would have been there quick. But Peter just, you know, I'm just doing it. He just jumps in and dives in. So he's swimming, the boat comes alongside of him, and they all make it together. Just funny little things that, you you know, if you're reading the stories, I could just imagine. Somebody should make a movie about that. That would be one of those funny stories. So anyways, so Peter gets there. He goes into the tomb. John stays outside, and what does he see? So he enters, and he sees the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been uh, on his head, lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Here's another uh, subtle hint that the body wasn't stolen. If the body was stolen, would the thieves take the time to take all the wrappings off the body? No. And why would they do that? They're going to hold a bloody, beaten body? No, leave the wrappings on there and we'll take it like that. They would have been in a hurry. Like Thieves don't normally take their time when they're doing something, right? They're pretty quick. So again, they would have had to unwrap the body and then roll. You see the other thing in verse 7. They would have had to roll up the part of his head. They rolled up that part and set it to the side, folded this one, sat it there, and then take the body out while the Roman guards are laying there or whatever. I don't know. Again, these subtle hints that that's not what happened. The body wasn't stolen because, again, they would have just taken it as is. You wouldn't do all those things to steal the body, right? Uh, so, that's, so that's Peter. Peter goes in and he notices those things. Now we go to verse uh, 8. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, meaning John, then he also enters and he saw and believed. So let's take a look at these two accounts here and see how they affect both of these guys. So Peter, he runs to verify the story and sees it for himself. He needs to see it. He's not just going to take the word of Mary and the other women who came. He's going to run. He, he's going to check it out. So he goes in and he stoops down. He walks into the tomb. He's, he assesses the situation and notices the body's gone. The linens are folded. Uh, the head covering is rolled up, set somewhere else. And what does it say that he did? Well, look at verse 10. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, we're not told here, but in the, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, you can read it later, verse 12, we're told that Peter leaves uh, wondering at what had happened or marveling what had happened. Now, th- another translation says wondering. So he still doesn't understand. What, he knows the body's not there. He knows that the linens are there. He doesn't know what happened to Jesus. And again, he's not thinking resurrection. He's like, and maybe none of us would either if we were there, but he's like, I don't know what happened. I'm going home. I got to think about this. So that's Peter. He leaves for home, and and we're not told if he believed just yet. Because that allusion in verse 9, or verse 10, where is it? Verse 8, where it says he saw and believed, that's talking about John. So John, he gets to the tomb first. Now we're looking at John. He stops short of going in. It's not until Peter goes in and checks things out that John goes in. He looks at it. And John uh, sees the exact same thing that Peter does. But verse 8 tells us he saw and believed. He believed is probably alluding to now, we're not told, but that Jesus rose. He's not there. It's not that he believed Mary's story, but he believed with the with the part of faith. He had faith. He just saw the situation. I believe that Jesus rose again. 
He doesn't understand all the significance of that yet, I'm sure. But he believed. Peter didn't. Peter, not, not saying anything bad about Peter, but he maybe still needs to think about some things. And again, that could be some of us as well. We, we hear these accounts of Jesus' resurrection. We go to church. We uh, see things happening in our lives. But we're still, you know what, we're, we're wondering. We're marveling, in a sense, at what had happened. John is told, we're told here that John believes. He leaves for home. Now let's go to Mary Magdalene. So those are the first two, and, and we're going to find some application in this as we look at um, these three in a moment again. But look at verse 11. So now we get to Mary, and she takes up the remainder of the story. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. So Mary returns back to the tomb now, maybe after the uh, John and Peter had left because they just took off running. We're not told that Mary ran. She might have just came back. And so she's standing outside the tomb weeping, right? She doesn't know what happened. We're not told that John says, hey, Mary, this is what happened. We're told that he goes home. Peter goes home wondering what had happened. John goes home believing. But maybe nobody stopped to tell Mary what had happened or what they believe had happened. So Mary's still there weeping. And she now looks into the tomb and she sees two angels verse 12 sitting uh in white sitting on one at the head and one at the feet where the body of jesus had been laying so there was a you know obviously a little stand of some sort where the dead body had been and the angels on this side and the angels on that side for those of you that may be uh, be familiar with old testament what other thing of god had angels on both ends the Ark of the Covenant, right? Interesting. Just a little side note there. The Ark of the Covenant had angels on both sides. And then the Ark of the Covenant was what? The Ten Commandments. Manna. I think it was the Aaron's or, or I think Aaron's staff. Yeah. Interesting. Just a little note there. Maybe John's alluding to that. You know, this is something greater than the law again and miracles. It's all completed in Jesus Christ. So anyways... So she sees that, and now the two angels speak to her, and they ask her, look at verse um, 13, and they said to her, why are you weeping? So she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So still, obviously this is why I don't believe John said anything to her. She doesn't know what happened. She's told the disciples, someone stole the body. They ran to see it, and they've left. And she's left there weeping. They, somebody stole the body. She still believes somebody stole the body. I'm moving on to verse 14. So she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there. And she did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, For whatever reason, maybe in her, her, her grieving, she didn't see who it really was yet. Maybe in her tears were, were clouding her vision or just so upset. She didn't realize what's going on. That can happen when we're grieving. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? So supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried away him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Still, Mary is under the assumption that somebody has taken the body. She doesn't know where he's gone. Even when she's speaking to Jesus, that she, although she does not yet recognize who he is until the next thing that happens here in verse 16, Jesus said to her, 
Mary. So she heard her name from her Lord. And there, there's an, uh, um, in the original uh, Aramaic, it, she's called Miriam, a, a special name that maybe Jesus would call her. And she realized she didn't, he didn't just call her Mary. It's Miriam. It's like a, that pet name, a, a term of endearment for her between her and the Lord. And she recognized that this was the Lord because look at what happens now uh, in verse 16. He says, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. I'm reminded of what uh, the John said earlier in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, that when the sheep of Jesus hear the voice of their master, they know him. Look at verse. Uh, so Jesus used the example of sheep. When hearing the name of their, sh- or hearing the voice of their shepherd, and they realize who their shepherd is, look at in John chapter ten, just as an example of this. Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the the door, excuse me, he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep." So he's given the apostles of an illustration of a true shepherd comes to the door to get the sheep where a thief climbs over and tries to trick them. And look at what it says in verse three to him. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is a picture uh, here in, in John 20 of Mary. She recognizes the voice of her shepherd, of her teacher. When he calls her that name, Mary, she recognizes it. Verse 5 now, back in uh, chapter 10. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. But Mary knew the voice of her Lord. Skip down to verse 14 now. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Mary knew that it was the Lord. Finally, she hears the Lord's voice in that calling her name, and she recognizes that this is the Lord. And so what does she do? Look at verse, uh, going back to chapter 20 now. So once this happens, she calls out teacher in verse 17. Jesus says, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. So she finally gets the Lord, and she's clinging to him. You could picture her just holding on. She's finally found him. She thought he'd got, he was stolen, that someone stole the body. She saw Jesus die. Remember, she was one of those at the cross. She saw Jesus die. She, she saw Jesus put in the tomb. And here he is right in front of her. She's not letting him go. She's going to cling on to him. She has finally found her Lord. And Jesus tells her, hey, stop clinging to me. Not because he's mean or anything, but look at what he says. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus had told them from the beginning or throughout his ministry that he was going to go to the father, that he wasn't staying here on earth. And that's what he's telling her again. It's like, I haven't finished everything. I've died, I've resurrected, but now I have to ascend to the father. Remember, he said that he said, I'm going to ascend to the father and I'm going to send a helper. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he is going to guide you. He's going to be the one that is going to do that from this point forward. So he's just reminding her of that, that, hey, my relationship now is different. You're no longer going to be able to have me here. Instead, you're going to have 
the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go about my father's business. But before he does, as the te- as his her teacher, look at what he says to her in verse 17. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. So he wants her to go and encourage the brothers. Like go to the brethren. And what does she do? Like a good student, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So she says, I've seen him now. And that he had said these things to her. What things? That he's going to ascend. He was going to the Father, to God the Father. And so again, like a good student, she does what the Lord, her teacher, had told her to do. So with that said, let's find a a few points of application here. So let's look at the faith of Peter and John and Mary. Because again, I'm sure... I think most of us here can relate to one of these three. So let me ask you this. Do you have the faith of Peter? Now, get get me or hear me out. I'm not criticizing Peter's faith. I'm just using it as an example for a point of application. Okay. When I say, do you have the faith of Peter? I mean this. You've heard about the Lord. You're even hearing about him right now. And maybe you have seen him in some in some way, you've seen him working in the lives of other people or you've seen him working in your life. Obviously, none of us have seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. But you've heard of him, you've seen him, but you still don't understand the true meaning of it all. And, that, and that's what I mean in the sense of Peter, because Peter saw uh, he heard the Lord. He saw the Lord. He went into the tomb. He saw the things that were there, but it says he left marveling or wondering at what had happened. And maybe you can relate to that. You're like, hey, I've seen these things. I've heard these things. I was brought up in the church. But I truly don't, I'm not yet understanding how it all works out or what it all means. Or maybe you're like, hey, I I can believe that Jesus died on the cross. I can believe that. You know, that's something that happens. People died on the cross. But now you're telling me he rose from the dead? You're asking me to believe that? Well, if you, I'm going to point out something here. Turn, let me do this. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 11. Because, yes, I am asking you to believe that on the authority of Scripture, not on my opinion. Because guess what? Believing in the resurrection is essential for salvation. Believing in the resurrection is essential for salvation. Look at this. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans nine, Roman 10, look at verses 9 through 11. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Well, everyone probably familiar with this verse. Like, yeah, I could do that. And look at what the rest of the verse is. And believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. So it's confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing what? That he died on the cross? No. That he rose from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Um, Reading on, for with the heart a person believes, right? We don't just believe with our head, it's our heart. It's it's our entire being. This is what the heart is in reference to. It results in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be 
disappointed. So again, going back, you've heard these stories. Maybe, again, you've been brought up around it, but you need to believe in the resurrection. Obviously, Peter's going to come around and believe in the resurrection, but at this point, he did not. And that's why I'm using him as an example for maybe some this morning. Maybe you're like, okay, I could believe again. I can believe that Jesus died, but now you're saying he rose. I mean, come on, dude, that's never happened. Well, let's back up a little bit because the resurrection is not too hard to believe. If you believe that God created the entire universe out of nothing. That's got to be hard to do. (laughs) Creating something out of nothing. That's pretty hard to do. (laughs) Can anybody do that here? No, not unless you believed in evolution of some sort where you're going to say the world created itself out of nothing. Okay, that's science. No, the Big Bang, it's been said, needs a big banger. He brought it about. He brought everything into existence. So if he can do that, raising his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead is should be pretty easy to believe. I'll just I'll just say that. Again, and going back to Peter as an example and going back to the point that you're like, I can believe I like Jesus. Some of us actually just like Jesus on the cross. I like that he forgives my sins. I don't want him coming down and being Lord of my life now. (laughs) So we like to leave Jesus on the cross. I like the forgiveness part. I like that he paid for my sins, but I don't want him actually to be Lord of my life. And so that some of us are there and maybe you can relate to that. Yeah, I like forgiveness, but now he's getting all up in my business. You're saying no. Yes, he's Lord. He's teacher. He's Rabboni. So maybe some of you are there. What about John? Do you have the faith of John? John also heard and he has seen. But what did it say about John in our text? He believed. He didn't need a lot of evidence. He didn't even he didn't need to see the risen Lord. He just believed. And some of us are there. And that's great. This is not a criticism. You know, we don't need all, you know, Robert, you're trying to give me all this defense of the resurrection. I I don't need that. I just believe it by faith. I, I believe that the tomb is empty. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's great. But on the other, on the other side, I want to just use John here as an example of us. Maybe we believe these things, but we don't do anything with it. Again, I'm not criticizing John. I'm just using the story as an example. What did John do once he believed? We're not told that he told Mary. No, he just left and went home. And so I would challenge some of us this morning is to not just keep your faith to yourself. This truth of the resurrection has done something awesome in our lives, and we should share it. We should live it out. We should not just keep it to ourselves. Our Savior is awesome and powerful, and he can transform lives. Let me show you going back to Romans, just two examples that I that really just speak to me about this. In Romans chapter 6, look at verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. says this. It says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Through the power of the resurrection, we not only have died, have been baptized into eternal life, but we have a new life 
It's a picture of living out the gospel now in this newness of life through the power of Christ's resurrection. Right? So we're not just leaving the Lord up on the cross. We're allowing him into our life, and we're walking in this newness of life. Also, turn over two more chapters to Romans 8. Look at verse 11. Romans 8, verse 11 says this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think of this. The same spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, think how powerful that is, lives in each and every one of us that's a believer. You have that same power to walk in newness of life. And guess what? That same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will one day raise us from the dead. Just think of that. So we don't have to fear death. It was um, yesterday we um, went to uh, Donna's mother's funeral, or really just a celebration. And it was so cool to hear the hope. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where there's, like, no hope. And they're like, well, we, she's in a better place or they're in a better place. That, that wasn't going on yesterday. When a believer dies, there's celebration. Because they were like, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing her again. We know right now she's with the Lord. And they even said, she's, she beat Billy Graham to heaven. That's crazy. She's like, hey, Billy, glad you made it, buddy. <clears throat> which was kind of cool to think about because that's the reality. It's, it's not, I mean, it's funny, but it's true. She was there, and then Billy Graham, I don't know how it's announced, hey, everybody, Billy Graham's here. I mean, <laughs> or maybe not. It's just another brother in heaven. We're all equal, you know. But the point is being is that we're going to live again. We, as, as bad as it is down here, and maybe sometimes we fear death, we live forever. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead it's going to raise us as well. And so that should be comforting. That's something that we can share. So let's go to our last example here. Do you have the faith of Mary? So we've talked about Peter. We talked about John's faith. And again, I'm not criticizing the apostles. I'm just using them as an example for us for some application. Or do you have the faith of Mary? You have seen, because she's, she's seen all these things happen. She heard these things as well. She believes just like John, you know, she finally, she needed some evidence, though, and she has it now, but what did she do with that? She went to encourage others. Isn't that what Jesus told her to do? Go to my brethren. Don't cling to me. Don't stay here and just like, it's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. No, there's bigger things out there. You need to go up and tell my brethren that I'm going to ascend to my Father and to my God. Encourage them. And that's where each, I want each and every one of us to be, is that we need to encourage others with the message of the resurrection. And let's close looking at this last chapter uh, in 1 Corinthians. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is probably the greatest uh, section of encouragement on the resurrection, where, where Paul's been arguing about the resurrection, and then it culminates with this final thing. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. He says this. He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So it's talking about the second coming, the second coming when all the bodies from the grave will rise up and will join our spirits, which are in heaven, if we are there already. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal must put on the immortal. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on immortality. So we'll be immortal now. Then will come about the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your excuse me? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the absolute end of death at this point. Death will no longer reign in human history. It will be finished. So what do we do? Look at verse 40 or 58 of the text. Therefore, my beloved brethren. So because of all this, this is the encouragement. And this is the encouragement for each and every one of us. And this is the encouragement we, t- we need to give to each other. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We need to encourage each other to be steadfast in our faith, immovable in our faith, and abounding in the work of the Lord, doing what God has called us to do. God asked Mary to go and encourage the brethren, and I'm encouraging each and every one of us, whatever God has given you to do, no matter what's going on, continue to be steadfast and immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. It might not look like it's working here or you're having much effect, but keep doing it because God sees it, and it's not in vain. And the Lord, at that time when he comes back or calls you home, he will reward you for all that you do. Amen? So have the faith like Mary. Let's have that faith. Let's, let's believe and let's encourage one another to continue on until the Lord returns. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. And I pray, Lord, that it did encourage each and every person this morning in their faith or wherever they are in their faith. I pray that we would take a hard look at our lives and see where we are. Do we have the faith of Peter, you know, just as an example, where we, we've heard these things, we've seen these things, but we're still not sure about it. I pray for that person, Lord God, that you would move in their hearts. Lord, that you would cause them to believe in the resurrection and be transformed daily by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for those of us who may have the, the, the faith of John here, that we believe, but, you know, we're just keeping it to ourselves. It's just me and the Lord. And there's no concern for brothers or sisters. Or I pray that you would move in our hearts this morning and cause us to be an encourager, to share what you have done with us, to give us opportunities in our lives to share this truth and to be an example to those around us. And for those of us, Lord God, who believe and you've called to encourage, and, and maybe we're in a ministry and we're struggling in our, in our walk and our, just in our... You know, we're coming up against some things and sometimes we get tired and we don't know if our ministry is being effective. We don't see 
change in people around us. I pray that your encouragement that Paul gave to the church at Corinth would encourage us also, Lord, that we would be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and steadfast, knowing that our toil is not in vain. I thank you for those who serve in this church. I pray that you would bless them, that you would continue to give them strength to serve the body so that we might grow up in our faith and that you might bless them now, Lord. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for your resurrection and the newness of life that you've given to all those who believe on you. And Lord, if there's someone in here that does not believe on you, I pray that today would be the day that they would confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts, Lord, that you raised Jesus Christ from the dead and they might experience salvation. I pray that this morning. It's in your name. Amen.